Welcome to the Creative Writers Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you advice and insights for your writing. I'm Andy Chamberlain, I'm a writer and creative writing coach, and in each episode, we'll be exploring an aspect of the craft together. You can find out more at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you can also find out about the Creative Writers Tool Belt Handbook, which takes all the best advice and insights from the early episodes of the podcast and distills them into one volume. I hope this podcast is helpful to you on your writing journey. If you do find it useful, please do subscribe and consider leaving a review as well wherever you downloaded it. So thank you for joining me and here's this episode. Hello and welcome to episode 163 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. It's August 2021 as I record this and I am very much enjoying a return to producing this podcast after a hiatus of about 18 months. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please can I ask you to make sure you've subscribed to it on whatever platform you choose to listen to it on. And also, if you like what you hear, please do leave the podcast a rating and a review. Really grateful to anyone who can do that. It's a great help to us to just get the word out about the podcast to others. So my guest for this episode is Cami Ostman. And Cami is a life and writing coach, a marathon runner, and the founder of The Narrative Project, where with her team, she encourages writers to produce the best and most honest work of their lives. I wanted to talk to Cami about how, as writers, we can bring healthy disciplines to our lives rather than unhealthy disciplines or perhaps no discipline at all. And we also discuss how each of us can deal with our own inner critic and how practicing self-awareness can help us with our craft and also in our lives. Cami and I had a great chat talking about inspiring concepts like having confidence in ourselves, the relationship between support and accountability, and being led by our own inner champion. And I really loved that phrase, inner champion, which is why I chose it to be the title for this episode. I had a great time talking to Cami. I hope you'll enjoy listening to our conversation. Here it is. So Cami, welcome to the Creative Writers Tool Belt. It's great to have the opportunity to have a chat with you today. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. So I want to start by just giving you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your background, upbringing, and, and also your journey as a writer. Right. It's funny, I recently moved and I was digging through some things in the garage and I found a seventh grade paper uh, I had written where everything was poorly spelled, but I had declared that I was going to travel the world and be a writer. And so that happened, you know. And yeah, was, that's a, achievement. That you've achieved yeah. those things as far as I can see, haven't you? Yeah, great. Really fun to see that. Yeah. So I so I grew up around Seattle, Washington in the USA, and uh blue collar family. Nobody had ever been to college before and I was a secret journaler. The first poem I ever wrote was sitting at the Pacific Ocean. You know, I live in the Puget Sound, so we see salt water, but we don't see the ocean. And so my family took a camping trip when I was, I don't know, probably eight or nine. And I remember sitting next to the ocean feeling how overwhelming it was. And I just had to respond to it. So I rushed back to the tent and grabbed some paper and wrote my first mm. poem that was so gratifying that it, it really turned me into a writer. And I've been writing ever since journaling, publishing, blogging, and now coaching, coaching writers. So 
kind of when you'd grown up a bit did you go to college what did you do yeah yeah so uh when I was about 20 years old floundering working a job as a cashier and I went to talk with an advisor and he said to me Cammie why don't you go to college and it was like a big light bulb came on over my head and I went I would love to go to college is that a thing and he said, yeah, you can have, anybody can go to college. And I said, really? And so uh, he directed me to my community college, which is, you know, just a um, like those, those little local two-year colleges that we have here. And I got a two-year degree and then applied to go to a university in my, uh, in my area. And I majored, I did a triple major, you know, because if you're going to do it, you should really go for it. <laughs> Really yeah. Yeah, I had a triple major in English, theater, and secondary education. So my first career was in was in education, and I did that for about ten years, teaching ESL and English and drama. And one thing I noticed is that when you teach at a high school, you maintain about three hundred relationships because you have the kids, the hundred and fifty kids that you Mm -hmm. have coming through, and you have all their parents. So maybe even more than that, you know, and those really maintaining those relationships well felt really overwhelming to me as a, an outgoing introvert. I loved being in front of the class, but then all those one-on-one conversations were hard. So I went back to graduate school and got my master's degree in uh, marriage and family therapy. And so it's from these sort of different perspectives that, that I come to my writing coaching from, you know, my teaching, from my therapy, but then just and my writing, of course, you know, my own writing, but also I think importantly from my running because I'm a long distance runner. And so it's that, that training and that commitment and that, um, structure for, from the running life that I bring to my work now. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think those things, the, the writing and the running always go hand in hand. They are um, they, they they mutually inform how I approach uh, mindset and practice? Okay, and I want to come back to that. In fact, to the perhaps writing, running the discipline of that, all of that in a moment. Um, I wanted to pick up on something you said about journaling. I think you called yourself a secret journaler. Yeah. Uh, so were you? Thinking about those two words, were you was were you journaling in secret because that just wasn't part of the culture of your family, or you, or perhaps what? Why was it a secret the journaling that you did? Well, yeah, it wasn't a. It, it definitely wasn't part of the culture of the family. But my my family was, uh, you know, like most families are, really complicated. And there was a lot of pain. My father was an alcoholic. My mother had mental illness. Mm -hmm. They were teenagers when I was born. So I wasn't much younger than them. And I had a lot of things to say about the family. There was a lot of angst. I didn't want my mother finding my journals. And then I had three younger brothers. So, you know, I mean, they, they could come in my room and find out who I liked at school or whatever. (laughs) You didn't want that, did you? (laughs) Yeah, but to come to come to the second of those two words in journaling. So, I I do wonder whether actually journaling is a great th- 
thing for writers to do. I wonder if you if you've been able to connect journaling to writing in some way. How does that work for you? Well, I still journal. I journal on my computer now. I like to be able to type what's on my mind with my eyes closed. And since I can, you know, use the keyboard without opening my eyes, I find that I can close my eyes and really access some depth, mm-hmm. um, you know, deeper thoughts and listen to my deeper wisdom journaling with my eyes closed. So I think, you know, things like the morning pages that uh, Julia Cameron talks about are are wonderful, but I personally have a specific direction with my journaling. My journaling is very spiritual. I listen to, um, I, I ask questions of myself and I listen deeply. Mm. And that's what I, that's what I journal about now. And mm. I, I think that was probably always true that I was journaling to figure out what it is I have to say, what it is that I actually think. Mm. And I'm really not a great one for taking notes on the details of what happened if you were to read my journals, which God forbid you should ever do, but <laughs> you would not know what happened on any given day, but you would oh, okay. know the questions I was asking. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it might be a, it might be a framework for working stuff out. Generally, yeah. Then. yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I keep a journal and that works in part. It partly that way as well I think it's a process of working some stuff out and if I don't write it down or writing it down helps me to work out what the answer was and the answer may have been there all the time yeah but, but bringing it out was a process that was required and journaling helped that yeah and do you then do you connect your um what's in the journal to what you're working on like whatever project you're working on is there a direct connection or is it maybe more just of a subconscious connection it would be quite rare for me to use a journal directly for writing so for me a journaling is more of a kind of spiritual exercise and i'll write some stuff down and process out of that but um but when i do use a journal for writing i tend to follow the theory which I think Stephen King proposes which is that as writers we are we're we're looking for a story that's already there we're like archaeologists in a way we're digging out the bones of the story and the and the trick to it is to extract the story in as perfect a form as possible without distorting anything or breaking anything so um I tend to I tend to approach it maybe as I have a thing, I have an issue with writing. Maybe I've got a, a story issue I need to resolve or I need to kind of take a, put a twist into the plot or something. And it's there, it'll be there and I just need to discover it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I might inquire of my characters what they're up to mm-hmm. or inquire or ask them to look around and see what they're seeing mm-hmm. um, or hearing. And, um, or I might even get them to, I might try and connect with my characters and try and understand what they really want. Right. If they were, if my characters were a degree more self-aware, what would they think? That sometimes can tell me what the characters would do in right. a way that enhances the story. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've prescribed fiction writers to, to journal from their characters' perspectives mm. at times. That's good. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think those kinds of exercises really, it, they're a good way to do the hard work of discovering who the character is. Mm-hmm. And um, just as journaling is a good way to do the hard work of discovering who each of us ourselves is. Right. Uh, so it's the same process in a way. And yeah, I mean, certainly I'll, I'll use it to try and identify what a character thinks. 
or doesn't think of what they really want. Right. I guess the, that question, asking that question on behalf of the character, what do you really want? Right. As in life is a good question to ask. It's a question worth asking. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I had a memoir writer who had been working on her memoir for a long time that I was coaching and she kept getting the feedback that um, her, her narrator was not self-revealing that no, you know, the, the, what of the story was very present, but the, so what for the main character of the narrator wasn't present. Mm. And so we yeah. worked on one and I really pushed her on it and would just give her, you know, questions to journal on, you know, when have you felt vulnerable in your life? How have you resisted that? If you did feel something besides numbness, what would it have been, you know, and really pushing her to journal and then bring that material to the, to mm. the book. And I think it, it worked. It really pushed her into a deeper narrative. It is interesting with, with memoir. I've, I've done ghostwriting for a number of people on memoir projects. And I always warn them at the beginning that it'll be hard work. If it's going to be done well, it'll be hard work and it will be difficult work. Um, yeah. And most of them believe me and some of them don't. And then we get into the kind of the nitty gritty of it. And and it is hard work. It is if it isn't if it isn't in some sense revealing and exposing, then it isn't real. Right. And that's and it's like I say to them, if you want to go, you know, you want to take this road, that's how it's going to be. Um, And all the stuff, you know, like family stuff and friendship and when you were a child and, you know, the best of times and worst of times, it could all come out and I'm going to be asking for details. So, you know, that's, if you want to get on this bus, that's where it's going. And I mean, and they do, but it is a hard, it's a cost. There is a cost to it. That's right. I always say no pickle, no page turning. If you don't get yourself and your character into a pickle, then nobody's going to want to turn the page. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's that's absolutely right. And um, and that's that's just the way it is. Um, you know, writing is expensive. Good writing is expensive, yeah. and often good writing will then look easy when it's it's on the page. But yeah, you know, I've done some work to get there. You know, when when people come and work with me, they're always so insecure. Like, why would anybody want to read my story? I'm a terrible mm. reader. And I I am always saying, and I repeat this a million times in my programs, that Every great book that you've ever read, your favorite book, the one that you read over and over again, it does not actually represent good writing. It represents good revisions. Mm. You know, that that first draft is never as deep as the 10th draft. You know, you have have to dig. Yeah, it's never as true, I guess. It's it's, it's like exploring authenticity is important to me. So like the authentic story, the authentic character, what what really happened, what people really thought, what people really did. Yeah. Um, that is the real deal. That's that's where it counts. And it, where it counts if, in all, all types of writing, fiction, memoir, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I want to come on and talk to you a little bit about uh, something else which you've mentioned. You talked about the discipline which, write, which running brings to you. And I wanted to um, explore with you a little bit about discipline, because we all need some discipline as writers, but there is a good discipline and bad discipline, I guess. So I wondered if you could give us your perspective on the kind of discipline that you want and would welcome mm-hmm. writer in your life versus the kind of discipline that you don't want to welcome. Right. Well, by discipline, I don't mean getting a spanking when you don't do what you're told, you know? Um, yeah. Well, what I, That's when, when I, point though. yeah, yeah, it's not punishment. 
Um, what, what I think of as discipline is actually structure. So I think of, I think of structure. It's, it's like, it's the, it's the riverbeds that the riverbed that holds the water. You've got to have a container for your, for anything that you want to accomplish. Honestly, we're talking about writing today, but this could be keeping your house clean or losing weight or whatever it is that you mean to do or need to do in your life or long to do. So, so structure is, um, it, it has to be put in place externally, you know, because we, we all have varying degrees of internal structure. I'm a pretty internally structured person, but, um, but I am at the bottom of, um, my core kind of lazy actually. And, you wouldn't know it to look at my life because I've put all kinds of things in place. So for example, with my running, um, and this is true with my writing as well, it's on my calendar. And I encourage the writers that I work with, you've got to put two at the bare minimum, bare minimum, two, two hour chunks of time on your calendar. And that's sacred. It's just like if somebody invited you to go to lunch and you saw that you had a dentist appointment and you would say, oh, I can't, I have to go get my teeth cleaned. It's just that permanent, you know? And so once it's on your calendar, there's these things that we have to help structure our lives. The calendar is one thing. Another thing that, uh, that I think is really important is creating accountability. That's structure as well, you know, to, to make sure that, so for example, I did this 10 day challenge last summer in my running where I decided that I would Um, run 10 miles a day for 10 days in a row. I've never done anything like that before. And I, I was pretty sure that I could do it, but I was also pretty sure that I would get to like day three and go like, I don't really want to get up at six o'clock and do this. Hmm. And so the first thing that I did was I contacted my running buddy and said, will you do it with me? And the second thing that I did was I posted it all over my social media everywhere that this is what I was doing. So people would ask me about it and I would, I would have to sustain some embarrassment if I decided not to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You would would incur some shame if you, if you said, actually, I just kind of decided to blow it off. So with writing, it's the same thing. Um, Having people that you write with, you know, during the pandemic, we've been uh, writing on Zoom, but it's like, we know, when we get started, we jump on Zoom, we say hello, we spend two hours writing, we jump off of Zoom at the end after reading a little bit to each other to prove that we've done something besides just dink around on the internet. And, um, you know, and lots of big celebration when you accomplish something, Mm. you know, the pats Mm. on the back. Every day during my 10 mile, 10 days run, I posted a picture of myself, my, uh, my run keeper app to prove that I'd done the run, you know? Yeah. So, and we do that with our writing too. We post the number of words that we, um, that we've done that week, you know, really encourage people to hold accountability, to create Mm. the riverbed so that you literally, all you need to do is get on that raft and float down the river. Just to pick up on on something that you said there, you said two two lots of two hours. Is that per week or per day or month? Or well, I assumed it was a week, but I didn't want to assume that really. Per okay. week. So so two chunks of two hours a week is, is and that's that's baseline really, is there of of what you you're saying people should do? Right, and maybe I should follow up with that to say that. I think part of the part of creating structure is creating specific goals, you know, um, smart goals. So 
if I have, if I have nine months during which time I'd like to, I'd like to craft my rough draft or six months or whatever it is, it only makes sense to, you know, take 80,000 words, say that's the average length of the book and divide that by the number of weeks that you have to write and to shoot for a certain number of words Mm. per week. Now that is not the only way to do it. But what I know, uh, what I know about running and about my own writing life is that if I know how many words I need to shoot for in a week or how many miles I want to shoot for in a week, then I don't feel the whole, all of my life that something's hanging over my head. Like I'm not doing enough. I know whether or not Mm. I've reached the goal. If I haven't, then I need to put in some extra time on Saturday. If I have, then I get to relax, pour myself a glass of wine, watch a movie. You mentioned you used the term smart goals there. Do you want to do you want to defy some people may not know what smart means? Oh, right. <laughs> I okay. might have put you on the stop. We'll, we'll okay, try and do this between us if you want. <laughs> right. You can help me. if. OK, so yeah. smart. Um, the S stands for specific. Yes, I think it does. Um, right. M stands for measurable. Yeah. A for attainable. Yeah. R for relevant and T for time, time sensitive. Good job. There you go. I'm sure that's right. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> um, and, and the other thing I wanted to just ask you about was um, I'm just, I, I'm scribbling notes down on some of the things that you're saying, just as you say them. Interestingly, and I've found this and you just mentioned this briefly, if we're disciplined not only does that make us do it, but it also reassures us when we've achieved something. Right. Um, and I wondered if you could just, because I like that. That's good. We like to be able to feel reassured. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that then and why why perhaps if we're ill-disciplined, we're always going to be anxious because we haven't, we feel like we haven't achieved something. Yeah. Well, I mean, this this has a little bit to do with the with the inner critic, I think, actually. You know, I think we have voices inside of us, lots, I mean, we all are not just one voice. There's lots of voices inside of us and you have a longing for something that you want to do. And if you keep trying to do it over and over again and you're not accomplishing it, then there is this underlying anxiety. You know, there's often a voice mm-hmm. that says, you know, you're you're lazy, you're, you know, criticizes mm-hmm. you. And, you know, if we, then there's this vibration all the time. I, I should be, I should be, I should be doing something and you're not doing it. Whereas if you have very, these very specific goals and you're able to accomplish those things, then you get to, I mean, you get to shift your, your self-image from I'm somebody who would love to write a book to I'm someone who is writing a book. And, and if I can say like one thing that the writers who go through our nine month program at the end, we always do this great celebration. And to a person, um, they they say, I've always wanted to be a writer and I have turned myself into a writer. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some of them, some of them don't reach their 80,000 word goal. Uh, a lot of them do, but some of them don't, but they know they can because they know how to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's an important part of our self-image, I think, to be able to actually hit the marks that we crave to hit, you know, especially the really important ones in our lives, mm. you know, the ones that are identity forming. I've always wanted to be this. I feel like I am that deep inside, but I'm not doing it. 
So I don't know if that answers your question, but. I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I guess it does help us to do something that we can believe in. We can, we can right. always look ourselves in the eye, can't we? And yeah, there is that gap, which is not pleasant in life between, I really want to do a thing and I haven't done it. And it's a gap. Yeah. yeah. Can I do it? Or can I be bothered to do it? Or am I able to, you know, I, am I worthy of it? Or all this kind of stuff. And it's hard to bridge that. Sometimes. Right. It, it is hard to bridge. And yet, when you do it, it, it is identity shifting. I mean, I remember maybe you have this memory for yourself too. The, the moment I saw my first book on the shelf at the bookstore mm. at my local bookstore mm. and with my name on the spine. And I, I, first of all, I burst into tears, you know, I mean, I knew it's not like it was a surprise. I knew it was coming. You know, the publisher had told me the pub date and what day it would be shipped to the, the bookstore and everything, but I found it in there and I held it in my hands and burst into tears. And I literally had the thought, okay, it's okay if I die now. It's- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've done it. I've achieved it. I've, I've ticked yeah. the box. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to come back as well to this two hours twice a week thing, because I suspect there'll be some people who think I can't work for two hours you know, ago um either because that's not the way I do stuff or you know I'm a busy mom and I only get 10 you know I get 20 minutes or half an hour max or whatever so is is the two hour thing is that kind of what you're prescriptively recommending or is that is it more a function of you've got to put something down and that's an example of it so I mean here's how here's how I think about working with writers I I have a formula that I offer. And then I say, like, it actually doesn't matter if you, like, if I say two, two hour chunks of time a week and you butt up against that and you say to yourself, that will not work for me as long as you figure out what will work for you. Mm. So I'm just giving a, I'm giving a tether ball pole, you know, putting a stake in the ground Mm for you, you deserve two, two hour chunks of time. If you, if you bump up against that, you know, and it, and it's not what you need, that's fine. At least you have something to talk about, you know, some reference point from which to go, uh, your own direction. So I, I think that there are people, I know a couple of them who can write in 15 minute moments, you know, throughout the week. Personally, I find it really hard to believe that you can sit down, get your head in the game, reread the last couple of pages that you wrote during the last writing session, call the muse from her corner of the room and put your fingers on the keyboard and write with less than two hours, but, or fewer, fewer than two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Correct my grammar. Um, But you know, if you can, then that's great. I support that. But for by all means, put it on your calendar, however much time it is. Put it on there. Make it sacred. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the main thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah. 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 It, and that that framework, that kind of riverbed thing that you were talking about, you've got to create a structure. Yeah. Um, now, we did, you briefly mentioned the inner critic, and I do want to come on to this. And I guess a lot of us writers, we kind of know, and we've heard people talk about the inner critic is a bad thing. Um, maybe a lot of the time it is. Um, do you think there's, 
you think there's times when it's good to have an inner critic or maybe an inner voice and uh, and when are they definitely is it when is it definitely a bad thing do you think I'm I'm so excited to talk about this Andy because I (laughs) I I, the inner critic class that I teach is my favorite class and it's to me once we are in a better relationship with our inner critic it just clears the path for all kinds of things in our lives so I'm really happy that we're that we're talking about this so my perspective on the inner critic is this, that um, the psyche, this I'm coming from my work as a therapist here, mm. the psyche, um, the core self is always intact. Like at our core, we're okay. And the psyche splinters off when hard, sad, scary things happen to us when we're young. Mm. So let's say, you know, let's say I'm a five-year-old and my parents get divorced And that's too big of a thing for my psyche to handle. And so I see that mommy is depressed and I know that if I can make her happy, she'll be able to function, get up, feed me, whatever. So this little people pleasing part of me develops, right? And as that little people pleasing part of me develops, it's going to start talking to me and telling me um, when other people are unhappy, it's my job to fix it. Hmm. And whenever I don't do that, it's going to criticize me and say, you're useless. You're not doing anything, you know? And so that voice becomes very, very loud. It's a brilliant solution to something when we're little that turns into a problem when we want to sit down and write and the kids are knocking at the door and our partner is upset because they just got home from work and we think I've got to please the family. I can't possibly carve out time for my own life. And the critics start saying, you're a horrible mother, you're a horrible partner, you know, this kind of thing. And so the inner critic is, I think it believes, it believes it's doing good work for us. Hmm. It hmm. believes that we know it's disrupting our lives, but it thinks it's doing a good thing for us. I've interviewed so many inner critics over the year. I have a process where I interview the inner critic and um, I've interviewed so many inner critics and I have never met one that doesn't think it's doing the person a favor. So how does you, you say you've interviewed the inner critic. Is this, yeah. is this you talking to the inner critic of people that you're working with? So you yes. ask them to manifest the inner critic and then out comes this critic and the, and, and presumably gives a robust defense of all of the criticism that it's, it's giving yes. to the person. Yes. Okay. Well, yes. Sometimes they give a ro- a robust um, defense of their criticisms. Other times they are so tired. They're like, mm-hmm. I have been working for this person for 45 years. <laughs> I would love to retire and go to Tahiti, you know, but I can't because if I let up on my job, they're going to put their work out in the world and be completely embarrassed. I can't let that happen, but I'm tired. You know, yeah. they they, have, they all have a slightly different attitude about their work. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. I mean, yeah, it's interesting that I guess if you, if, if you struggle with a voice, let's say, I would guess most people would tend to think the voice is unhelpful it's an uninvited guest almost, or you don't have a choice to kind of switch it off. When you normally, I, my sense is that most people would feel, I would feel that if, if I have an inner critic, I don't choose, I don't have a choice about listening to them. That voice just comes up unbidden. 
yes. uninvited and just starts having a go. And that's, and so the, the, the idea that they, they might, that bit of me might be trying to help me is, is quite, it's not intuitive at least, is it? Right. But they, they get louder and louder the more we push them away as opposed mm. to turning toward them. And mm. because see, what we're doing is we're pushing away parts of ourselves. I mean, it's, it's, it's violent to say that you hate a part of yourself, you know, and mm. it's understandable, but it's, it just creates self-hatred to have to really hate on some part of you. And so to turn toward it and then to say, okay, I'm, I'm listening. I, you're misguided. You know, I, I, I don't want you in leadership. And very often these inner critics came, you know, they arose very early in our lives. So they have like the mentality of an eight-year-old, you know, or a five-year-old. And we don't want a five-year-old or an eight-year-old leading the show in our lives, you know? So yeah. we want to bring them into the fold, you know, and, and yeah. heal them essentially so yeah. that they can settle down. Okay. Yeah. And is, is the, is the end game of this, that the inner critic stops being critic, uh, yeah. uh, just simply find something else to do, look at the weather, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, Rotating, whatever. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. whatever their thing is. Yeah. And yeah. then, okay. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. So, but I, so I'm just thinking about how I would deal with that. And there are probably some voices in my head that I would think, okay, you can shut up now. Thank you. I really, you know, you could go away anytime and I'll be quite happy. Yeah. Um, but there are other voices which aren't loud necessarily, but which are almost like a helpful nudge to get mm -hmm. on with it. Mm -hmm. um, is that a thing? How does that yeah. how does Sure. Like, like your inner how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you apply a discipline to your own mind to listen well to the right voices or to the right things within yourself? Yeah. Right. Like your, your inner coach. And yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. So I, I mean, I have definitely have the inner coach who, who um, I mean, the audience can't see me, you can, but I'm in my running clothes yeah. and, Right. And so I'm ready to go for my run. So I have this little coachy voice inside of me this morning when I was getting ready to join you here. And and I was like, mm, I should put some I should I should get dressed. I shouldn't show up in my pajamas. And then, oh, well, but if I get dressed in my street clothes, I will be really tempted to skip my running. No, no, no. Get dressed in your running clothes. Mm. And you know, so I definitely have that that voice coaching me. That's that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And that, mm -hmm. I wouldn't see that as a bad thing. I think. No, not at all. Is there a way in which we can describe the healthy state that we should get to as mm -hmm. writers in terms of the family in our heads, in terms of the voices, in terms of the voices we're listening to or how we feel about ourselves is there a place we want to get to and and can we link that this may be a red herring it may not be can we link that to self-awareness and how how does all of that work it's a bit of a vague question but i'm i'm hoping you can kind of get to grips with it yeah i got you on this one andy <laughs> i think what we want to do is we want to activate and be led by our inner champion there the part of us that has a craving for something that will 
be meaningful, that will lead us to feel like we've made a contribution that will um, lead us into the best story of ourselves that we think we can have. And so we want to we want to make sure that we're in touch with that inner champion. And so that part of us that says, you're a writer, you know, you are, you haven't done it yet, but you're a writer. You can do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you just, you just need to figure out what the elements are, what the structure is, how to, how to do the craft, but you can do this. And we want to be, we want to have as much access to that optimistic part that believes in our lives as we can. And I think of those inner critics just as, you know, getting in the way of hearing that other voice because they are so afraid of what will happen if we put ourselves out there in the world. But inner champion is there or else we wouldn't have that desire. I always say to the writers that work with me, your desire to write is your mantle. It is your calling. If If you are longing to write, that means you're called to write. We just have to clear things out of the way, whether it's stuff in your life or stuff in your head and and get you on the path. We need to get you a roadmap to your story and a roadmap in your life, the structure of your life. And once we can get you there, then, you know, you just have to show up. So that, um, I mean, that's an interesting concept. And one, I think that a lot of people could perhaps latch onto and, and learn from and you know and be a be better with so the inner champion what what kind of things you've told us a little bit i want to kind of tease out some more of this what kind of things does my inner champion say to me right so i think of the inner champion as that part of us which feels um calm connected centered um directed you know and so the inner the inner champion is is that longing to do the significant thing that will make a difference. You know, it's the, so it'll say, this is a story worth writing. Mm. And then the other voice comes in and says, you don't know how to write. You know, the inner champion will say, um, you know, you, you can do this. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a running example because it's so concrete that, um, you know, when you train for a marathon, and this is absolutely true in writing as well, you know, like I said, you put in the time, you you put your two hours, two times a week or whatever you have on your calendar, you and you show up to the page and you write your shitty first draft a la Anne Lamott. And I always say to my writers, when you sit down to do your writing, shoot for shitty because you'll definitely hit that mark, you know, <laughs> So if you shoot for perfect and beautiful and wonderful and awesome, then you're going to get discouraged because nobody writes that way the first draft through, right? So um, it's the same in running as it is in writing. You put in your time training for a marathon. I show up to the trail. I increase my number of miles every week until I'm, until I'm sure that I can run 26.2 miles or 42.2 kilometers. And then I have to show up to that starting line. And there's never been a time, I've probably run 30 marathons, there's never been a time that I haven't shown up to the starting line and felt terrified that I couldn't do it. And we have a saying, trust your training. So the inner champion just repeats, trust your training, trust your training, trust your training. And then I start the race and I hit mile 17, 18. That's usually when I feel miserable and um, not sure that I can finish 
And then my inner champion says, you don't have to think about finishing, just get to that tree. You don't have to think about finishing, just get to that telephone pole, right? The inner champion is realistic and supportive and believes in us. It's the state of flow, I think, you know, in some ways where you stay in that present moment. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is fascinating stuff and I'm, it makes me think that this inner champion is, is performing a number of things at a number of different levels in, in that it, he, she believes in us just in and of ourselves. Yes. Without us having to perform any necessarily that just believes in us, but also believes in the thing we're trying to do the validity and good purpose in it and also thinks that we can do it so so there's all those there's lots of layers of positivity i suppose you could call it going on with that yes i I was struck by when you talked about your your marathon that actually the point in the marathon where you you talk about you know is that that's the point where you struggle with it is often a you know if you if your marathon was a book it's about that point in writing a book that you know that kind of struggling oh. in the middle phase that that has how so often happens to writers oh yeah you i mean you you know this right there's a point in writing a book where you are so tired of yourself and your story and you're i mean if you're writing a memoir you're literally sick of yourself because you're the main character <laughs> And, I, you know, when, when my writers hit that point, I'm just like, I know we're, you know, you're sick of yourself and this is where you hit the wall and where you say, cool, great, amazing that I've actually created the structure in my life because I automatically on Tuesday morning and Thursday morning, get up and sit down at my computer. I don't even think about it anymore. Good thing. Cause mm. I'm tired of this project. Mm. Mm. So I'm just trying to think about the things that people who are listening to this would say, and it's probably more questions or more objections or not necessarily in, in, in a negative way, but people kind of go, yes, but yes, but can yeah. we, yes, but um, like a lot, a lot of that I think would be yes, but I've never actually written anything or yes, but I don't, you know, all I did was write something at, at school when I was a kid and it was only 200 words or yes, but I never have any time or I never have any energy. So and all of these things are both real and just excuses, aren't they, in some ways? And I don't right. mean that in any disrespectful way. Right. So can you say a bit more about how we tune into that inner champion and believe more in ourselves, believe more in our writing, believe more in achieving the goals? Right. Well, for one thing, I, I think it's really important that we create a container of accountability and support outside of ourselves, in addition to the inner work that we do, because there are times when either the critic is so loud, we can't, we, we can't even work with it. You know, it's really activated or times when life crashes because life does crash, you know, mm. genuinely does mm. really mm. tragedies happen. And um, and you can get thrown off. And sometimes, uh, you know, actually, I think people who have a lot of tragedies in their lives have a lot to say, but they also don't always have the attention to sit down and write, you know. So I I think of accountability and support on um, on a grid, like there's a the Y axis and the X axis. Mm. The Y axis is support 
and the x-axis is accountability. So you have like quadrants, right? And what you want to do, you want to get rid of the people who are low support, low accountability. So those are the hecklers in your life. You know, <laughs> God forbid we're married to one, right? But, you know, see if you can get, see if you can like minimize and you want to put in place a few people who are high support, high accountability. And the distinction I make between those two things is that the support people are the people who will put, will wrap their arms around you and they will give you the empathy you need mm-hmm. to let, to bring your anxiety down. They'll, they're the, oh, boo boo, it's okay. You can do this. You know, they're your cheerleaders and, you know, the people whose shoulder you can cry on. But you also want high accountability, and that would be people you need to turn your stuff into, right? So you've got to, you've got a deadline for your critique group on Thursday. You need to get that in, or you're paying a coach. So you've got skin in the game. So create a way to have skin in the game that is Mm. external to you. Mm. If you really want to get this done, if you really want to write this book, your good intentions will only take you so far. You have got to put things in place, which make it, make you obliged to do it. But you also need support because, I mean, it's, there's nothing like being at mile 17 on a marathon and your friend shows up there with a big sign that says you can do it, Mm. you know, or Mm. runs beside you for a mile, Mm. you know? Mm. Yes. Yeah. I've. I've written, I've scribbled down your quadrant and I've got something in every box apart from the the high accountability, low support people. I don't know whether such people exist. Well, exactly. Those, those would be people. I would say that the high accountability, low support people are like your blog readers or your podcast listeners. They are, you are accountable to those people. They're tapping their foot, waiting for you to show up and do something, but they really don't show up for you in return other than to read your stuff. You know, it could even be your editor at your, you know, at your um, publisher, if they're not a particularly warm person, (laughs) you know, do something for them, but you, but they won't hold you when you cry. All right. I'm just looking at what else there is. Maybe there's one other thing I want to kind of explore with you actually a little bit. We'll see see where we go with this. I was talking to a a lady who is, she's an author and she is, she said this in the, she's, I've interviewed her for the podcast and she's, she said this, so it's not like a secret. She said she's just turned 50 or she's about to turn 50, that sort of age. And the sense I got was that she had spent almost all her life developing and maturing and refining both her craft and who she was to come to be the writer that she is now. And I wondered if there was a sense in which you thought that we all have to mature. Mm-hmm. It takes time to become good writers and there's no shortcut or, or actually there's some things that you can shortcut or some ways in which you can kind of jump forward mm-hmm. with this thing. And I don't know completely the answer myself. Yeah question but is it like actually you just got to do the yards and do the do the do the life Mm -hmm. to get there or is there some stuff that you can kind of jump forward on right what a great question and I mean I'll tell you what I think I don't know that I'm right but um I do always say you can't skip steps you know I mean Mm -hmm. if you know take you know 
take dating, you know, and you, you sort of have to date a few people to figure out what it is that you like and what's going on inside of you. And, you know, I don't think you can skip that step. And although some people seem to get really lucky and just instantly meet the perfect person, but yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. And I certainly know some young writers who are brilliant and seem really deep and capable of both executing the craft and really good, solid, well-explored themes. Mm. Uh, you know, so you know, maybe there are there are some people who are sort of naturally wise and they're able to bring that wisdom to the page um, in combination with great scenic depiction. And but I think for most of us, we we start out with sort of a half cocked draft and we go back to it. And every time we go back in and read it, we have new insight. And I think the longer that you're writing a book, like I just interviewed this author who took 11 years to write her book. And she said, you know, I, I couldn't have, I couldn't have written this book in the first year because I needed to know more things about what happened to me. Yeah. I need to understand. So I sort of lean toward that, mm. but again, I don't know that I'm right. Okay. You know? And I, I think I do as well. So I think there are people who just, and these are people you never want to compare yourself to because it's just a nightmare. They're just right. brilliant. Just people who um, it's like they've got talent and it's not, it's almost like it's born, not, not bereaved or not, or not acquired it's right. just loads of talent and they can just do it you know fantastic characters and excellent story and such realistic settings the whole lot they've just got the whole deal and they just kind of you know they're 22 or 23 and they just write it and it's brilliant yeah um and yet it's missing something that you can see in the the work of people who are who have been working at their craft for 30 40 years so. right um, and that's not to say that's not to detract from what young writers produce because writers, young right. writers can produce brilliant stuff. Um, right. But there's almost it's almost like a different dimension of of quality. I don't know how quite how to say it. Well, and I think Andy, we could probably both agree that even when you meet those really brilliant young writers who seem to be born with their craft, you know, in their bones, that they will be a different writer at 52 than they are at 22. I mean, even from where they're starting, they're going to improve and they will look back at their writing at 22 and see that it, it isn't as deep and, you know, so Mm -hmm. not diminish youth and young um, talent at all. And yet we all grow. Yes. Right. And and we should grow. I think that's probably a healthy that's a healthy sign actually I think if somebody doesn't grow as a writer at all for years I think that would be a kind of that would be a warning sign I think yeah Yeah. be very sad yeah um so we're coming to a close I think in terms of of our conversation now that's Uh, too bad I know I'm sorry uh we could just chat (laughs) but um and it's been fascinating um but I, I, there's a, so I'm, I want to ask you in a moment about how people can find out more about you, you and your work and that kind of thing. But first of all, is there anything else that you want to say, perhaps related to this subject, perhaps something else? It's like, you guys really need to hear this thing. You know, I think, Andy, if there's anything that I really want people to hear, it's that their voice matters. If, if they have something 
burning inside of them that they want to write, then I hope that they will take a stand for their writing. Hmm. I mean, that, that has to be the number one first step is to decide that it's worth investing in time, money, finding people, you know, pushing through the, the critic, whatever it is that, you know, I really believe that we're all here participating in this collective unconsciousness, you know, and we are consciousness. I mean, unconscious or conscious. Um, and that what you have to say is part of that. It's part of what needs to be said on this planet. And I just want people who feel inclined to write to get behind their, their desire and to go for it. Mm. You know, otherwise we lose their voice. Mm. I'm, I'm going to add, add something which I hope will complement what you've said that when they do speak, when they do write that they are authentic and honest in it, that they yes. actually write what is really in them and really in their heart and really, and I take the harder road, I suppose, in doing that. Yeah. And it is right. a harder road, I think, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. And with every successive draft, push deeper into, into the truth, you know, mm. you know mm. oblige yourself to ask another question of the material mm. and another question of the material mm. until you feel like you've mined it all. Yeah. 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 If people are intrigued by what they've heard uh, or, or are curious as well, um, how can they find out about you? How they, can they find out about your work and, and, and your writing and what you're all about? if they're intrigued or curious or even irritated, they can, <laughs> they can find me at uh, the narrative project.net, the narrative project.net. And we, we have a number of things that we offer. And I say we, because I have some brilliant uh, writing coaches that work with me. We have a wrap around nine month, get your book done program where we support people in learning craft and they're, they're in critique groups. There are set times during the week where they can join writing. We call them write-ins where people can jump on and write with other writers. We have retreats and it's all a part of this nine month program that, that I've designed to make sure that writers have every single thing they need in order to get their books done. They literally just need to show up and do the writing. Um, because they have all the support and accountability that mm. they need. Yeah. So you, you, you guys are the high support, high accountability quadrant. We are. We're high support, high accountability, big time okay. cheerleaders. Yeah. And, uh, and tapping our toes, turn that in, turn that in. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Okay. Uh, and that, so that website was the narrative project.net. Yes. Okay. That's right. Okay. Cami, thank you so much for your time. It's been a thank fascinating you, conversation Andy. and I hope I hope people feel encouraged, you know, encouraged to to act and you know and, and really go for it from what you what you've said. I do too. I hope they will be kind to themselves and get behind their material, their writing, and really just go for it. Yeah, thank and, you. And listen to their inner champion. Their inner champion. Yeah, That's great. Right. <laughs> okay, Thanks, thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. You can find out more about the podcast at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you can also find details of the Creative Writers Toolbelt handbook, 
which takes all the best advice and insights from the early episodes of the podcast and distill them into one volume. I hope this episode has been useful to you on your writing journey. If it has, please do subscribe to the podcast and consider leaving a review as well wherever you downloaded it. Thank you for listening to this episode and goodbye.